this time of being challenged and to take Andy's words of opening our hearts, our minds, our bodies for the hearing of the word. I'm going to ask everyone to take a deep breath in and then exhale. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, for the opportunity that you have given us this day. Amid all the chaos that is swirling around the world to be present in you, to be present with one another, to not only hear a word of hope, but to realize what an opportunity we have to be hope in the world today. So in our hearing of scripture today, these ancient words, let them speak to us afresh, anew, and give us a new vision for how we are to be in the world, blessed as we are by your love, by your hope. And people of God say, Amen. Amen. This story, when Andy said, so we're following this series, we came up with this idea of coming up with this series of mixtapes of, of kind of favorite uh, scripture, is that right? So I get this apocalyptic tale <laughs> that's usually used around Easter time. And it seems, given all the events in the last few hours, the last few days, to be, well, to use Presbyterian language, predestined. <laughs> so this is an apocalyptic story, and I'll get into what apocalyptic story means and the genre of the apocalyptic stories, but this is a story to use Greek word, and I'll come back to this in the sermon, to be apocalyptic is to lift the lid off, to reveal. And so one of the things we have to ask, what is Ezekiel showing us? What is God showing us through Ezekiel as, as God has placed Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones? So the hand of the Lord came upon me, Ezekiel, and and God brought me out by the Spirit and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. God led me all around them. There were, there were very many lying in the valley, and they were all very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh God, you know. And God said to me, Prophesy to these bones and, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and you will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am God. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And God said to me, prophesy, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. 
prophesied as God commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet. A vast multitude of them. Then God said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says God, I am giving to you open graves. And bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am God, when I open up your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place upon your old soil, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and will act, says God. People of God said, Amen. So that was the reading I was given. And who knew on this day what we would be doing? It can be hard to hold on to hope when we look at the current events right before our very eyes in the world in which we live. As I said earlier, the word apocalypse is Greek and literally means to take the lid off the container, to reveal so that we can see and understand what is within. The apocalyptic literature in Hebrew and Christian scriptures can seem violent and disturbing until we understand that it was written by and for oppressed people to give them hope in a hopeless age. The violence described within this apocalyptic literature that we heard this morning was truly a poetic anticipation of the death of an empire and domination. It was imagining liberation of the poor, the beaten, the downtrodden, the weak. It was a calling to the people then and now to switch loyalties from wealth, power, and domination of the empire to God, nature, and humanity before it is too late. As this Hebrew scripture, along with our book of Revelation, are replete with apocalyptic sagas when the people of God were carried off to Babylon and the like, or fanciful tales of the ends of times, there are small stories of hope carefully sewn into the fabric of these episodic tales of woe. What is interesting is that in this day and age, in which it feels like we are hurtling to a judgment kind of day again, with capitalism and greed run amok, the rising tide of strident nationalism and soft bigotry, people calling congresspersons for horse people of the apocalypse, and the climate crisis growing more ominous daily, there are still in this day and this age and this culture stories of play, of joy, of grace and love that emerge and give us hope. 
For example, you may have seen it on Facebook or in any of the many websites there are. The story of two California professors who built large and long paint seesaws that fit in nicely between the slats of the U.S. border wall, producing an apocalyptic vision worthy of the ancient prophets. The image of children on either side of two nations playing on the very wall designed to enforce discrepancy of wealth and power between them is all we need to know about what deserves our allegiance and who does not. The joyful and whimsical image of children playing in blissful disregard. The latest vile and vile inversion of the Tower of Babylon can give us hope as well for the future. Those beautiful pink seesaws take the lid off the monstrous power of capitalism and empire. Reveal the monster who is currently residing in Washington, D.C., just long enough for those with inner vision to realize the inevitable collapse of our familiar world, which will only spell disaster for the old system of domination. Mm. What we citizens of empire fear most will truly mean liberation and joy for others. Amen. Or in this age of racism, of nationalism, of white nationalism, Here's the story of Jamal Lewis, a young black man who lives in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, who had the audacity, the courage, radical as it was, to wear a t-shirt and hat of his own making, make racism wrong again, and wore that ensemble into his nearby Walmart. As he wrote on Facebook, I received so many dirty looks. A couple of compliments. One thing that I've learned about living in Western Pennsylvania, it is one of the most racist places I've ever lived, and I've traveled all around the country, and outside the country as well. I'm not saying there aren't good people here, because there are, but there is a large amount of open and in-your-face racism here as well. Finally, and I say this as a gay Presbyterian pastor, even with all the recent advancement for those of us who are LGBTQ in this culture, and they have come quickly, thank God, there is a concentrated backlash against us from all levels of government, corporate, private industry as well. But as the National Catholic Reporter reported on a strong push among U.S. bishops recently to be more engaged with culture, the reporter Don Clemmer suggested that the church should all start watching this one TV series on, uh, that's currently on Netflix. If you have Netflix, I, I ask you to watch it, at least one episode. It's called Queer Eye. It used to be in its current or former stage, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but no longer is just called Queer Eye because it covers all bases and evinces a joy and a love for marginalized people as each episode finds the Fab Five, a makeover team of five fabulous gay men, coming into the life of a particularly stuck person and over the course of a week fostering transformation across the board, in which they take people who are stuck and in that week foster a transformation showing that there is life in hope. It has garnered a reputation for the model for many for its intense warmth and cathartic tears, both on screen and in the homes of its viewers. 
Clever claims that the strongest and most vivid representation currently on display in popular culture is this. He writes of the Fab Five, this is how race works. This is how it works. For a Catholic who's being honest, watch the Fab Five descend into an individual's unique mess and dysfunction, and you will get a sense of the unmistakable Pope Francis himself. It is as, as if Jesus wants us to touch human misery, to touch the suffering flesh of others, to enter into the reality of other people's lives and know the power of tenderness. Yes. Whenever we do so, our lives become wonderfully complicated and we experience intensely what it is to be a people, to be part of people. It is a sign of grace. Such public signs and symbols of hope and grace and joy and love in this day and age of powerful dominated forces that breed and spread oppression, hate and despair like a contagion are needed today as they have always been needed throughout civilization that have always been on the edge of total collapse and apocalyptic failure. And sisters and brothers and siblings alike, I fear we are close to that age again. Whenever a culture feels like it is on the edge of toppling into a fit of depravity and inhumanity, it is such stories, such stories as simple pink seesaws, of make racism wrong again hats and t-shirts, and episodes of fabulous men in queer eye filmed in conservative America that give us hope. Today's nuggets of hope found in the long, depressing sagas of oppression and destruction because of the dominance of other people and the weakness of the faithful ones to follow through with the ways of God is the same message that we receive today that we find also in the apocalyptic literature that we heard just read from our heirs, from our successors to our sisters and brothers and siblings of the Jewish faith. And their strange captivity in the ancient land of Babylon, found in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel speaks from Babylon, exiled from a country that has died. It has died. Its temples, its capital, the city of Jerusalem, destroyed. Like all the other earlier prophets, Ezekiel understands this disaster not simply as the unfortunate result of Babylon becoming stronger to him, to, to Ezekiel, since nothing can happen unless God allows it. The people of God, their leaders, brought this devastation upon themselves by their disobedience to God. For more than a generation, the people experienced not only a physical suffering and a communal identity in shreds, but a crisis of faith. As I said earlier, the key symbols of faith, Jerusalem, its temple, its people, its monarchy, all destroyed, all gone. The people actually wondered aloud if their God was toppled by a stronger deity from Babylon. There are these haunting words of the people. Our bones, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are cut off completely from God. Our bones are dried up. Hopelessness, helplessness has taken its place.
and it is into this pit of despair that rises this story of not only for them, but for us as well. It is the restoration that is communal, in which all the bones come back to life, the bones of those who were not very good with the sword, the bones of those who were the armor bearers and servants, the bones of those who had tried to desert the battlefield, and those who tried to save only themselves, the bones of those who begged for mercy and others, perhaps even tried to join the winning side of Babylon. It doesn't matter. Because if there is a resurrection for the people of God, everyone is involved in that resurrection. Amen. The new people of God will not be a society, though, of superheroes. It will be the same people as before, with all their vulnerabilities and all their array of human foibles. And my God, I know I have them. Maybe some of you have them as well. It will be the very same people as before, with their vulnerabilities and their array of terrible doing nothings. But all of this is still worthy of God's efforts because we are, all of us, God's creation. Ezekiel is brought by God onto a site in order to, to pronounce and witness something miracle, a miraculous. God brings Ezekiel into this valley of dry bones, right smack dab in the middle of it, withered, sun-bleached, Bones. God then asked the prophet if these bones can come alive. To which Ezekiel answers feebly, Well, gosh, only you know that. But what God knows is something even more startling. God knows that it is Ezekiel who will bring the bones to life. Ezekiel prophesies to the desiccated bones to hear God's word again. Divine initiative and human action. Divine initiative hooked together with human action. Interwoven at this moment as God leads Ezekiel to the valley and directs his attention and speech. And as he does so with no help from the bones themselves, I mean, what can the dead do? There's only so much a dead person can do. God brings them together. God adds the sinew. God adds the tendons to attach them. Flesh, muscles to make them strong, and skin to give them form again. Yet they are still lifeless. It is only when God says these words to the prophet Ezekiel. Speak ruach. Speak breath. Speak air to them. When God tells Ezekiel to do that, and Ezekiel does, the Spirit blows in from the four winds of the earth and makes those bodies live again and stand. I will put my Spirit with you, and you shall live, says God. Again, with God's initiative and God's Spirit, the breath, the ruach, the wind of God, along with God's and human response and action, fills the withered lungs, and the Spirit enters the people. As we took a deep breath and blew it out earlier in this time together, as we can well imagine, there is now life, a vast multitude of life. Grace fills the gap between what we are made for and what we ourselves can manage. And hope is now born anew. There is no place on earth, nowhere in time, no what or sin or situation that can keep 
God has cleared a way through God's people. God breathes, and God breathes out, and we are filled with hope. Though they remain in exile, still coping with the loss of loved ones, this time, these once dry bones, now human life, are filled with hope. Because God is present, they rise. Because God is present, they breathe. Because God is present, they are ready for the future. Because God is present, they look forward to hope in a world that once was hopeless. Sisters, brothers, siblings alike, hold on to hope. That's what the breath, that's what the Spirit of God brings with it. Hope, despite our fears of being cut off from God. Wondering where God is in our darkest days, even in this day and age, in our nation's story. God is near to us as our own breath. Blow upon your breath. Go ahead, hold your hand out and blow upon it. That's how close God is to us. In the darkness of these days, in which threats of force and detention centers run amok, remember pink sea songs. In the cauldron of racial hatred, remember t-shirts and baseball caps that denounce racism. With the soft bigotry of homophobia that is always present, for those of us who are LGBTQ are always reminded of our second-class citizenry, even in the church. Remember about five out fabulous gay men who are avatars of God's grace. Mm. And in the face of 251 mass murders and 216 days of this year alone, let us remember that there are solutions to ending such warring madness. If we, the people of God, have the will to invite others to enact stricter background checks, training and certification and licensure, gun back programs, and start to question the need for needs of any kind of firearm whatsoever. Divine initiative and human action together. So let us go back into the world as we leave this time and place refreshed with new hope, remembering that it is our task to bring hope to hopeless situations, to pour God's spirit into the dry fields. It may feel at times like an impossible challenge, but God chooses us to work the miracles even in our own frail, embodied, and unheroic state. For to paraphrase, to paraphrase Ezekiel amid the miracles of life, Ezekiel reminds us that God has put God's spirit within us. And so we live. And so we rise. And God will place us in God's own land. Then we shall know that God has spoken and Christ is doing something good, something new, something of hope. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.